Welcome back. This is Getting Handsy, where we discuss all things hand and upper extremity in hopes of providing and some of those aha moments and insights that you can use in the clinic the next day or in the near future. Uh, my name is Bob, and I'm back with the one and only Jim Wagner. Jim, how was your Thanksgiving? It was great, Bob. It was a, it was a good time to relax. Uh, unfortunately, I was uh, homesick, um, so I had some soup that day, and uh, um, you know, it was just very relaxing. So I'm happy to be back in action, though. So was it turkey soup? No, it was not. wasn't turkey soup. It was like Campbell's, like you know, you know, I don't know, chicken noodle or something like that. But no, it wasn't anything great. So uh, well, good. I enjoyed a few days off. Um, we do something every year that's kind of odd. Uh, started when I was younger. We bust a pinata. I, I don't understand, oh, nice. but the kids love it. And so it's kind of been something that we've done since I was probably five. Normally at Thanksgiving, there's about 80 people. Oh, wow. So there's tons of kids. And then the embarrassing part is if you're new to the family, you have to swing the pinata at the pinata too. So the adults don't really like that. They like for the kids to get it. Nice. Um, today, we have the pleasure of having Miss Virginia O'Brien joining the show to discuss what separates us from hu as humans, the, the opposable thumb. Virginia, thank you for coming on, and would you please introduce yourself? Um, yes, I am Mrs. Virginia O'Brien. Okay. Uh, because I'm from, <laughs> I, I'm from the North, but I have Southern roots. Um, I am married to my husband, Bill O'Brien. Um, and so I grew up here in Madison, Wisconsin, so you can hear my Wisconsin accent, but I spent 40 years in Minnesota, so I, I di dip into the, um, the deep Minnesotan accent um, <clears throat> at times. And so I grew up in Madison, so I decided to um, go to um, University of Wisconsin and went to, went to OT school here in Madison. And then after my husband and I got married, we went to Minnesota and that's where I grew up in my career of OT, but then also started my career of hand therapy. Nice. So what, what you know, I guess everybody kind of goes into OT school, you know, trying to, I guess, find their route. Some people are set on peds, you know, um, others have low vision, whichever way, but how did you get started in hand therapy? Um, when I was on my student placement um, here at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, um, it was the University of Wisconsin Hospital uh, system at, here in Madison, um, I had a really great uh, CI, they call it now, it was my supervisor, my fieldwork supervisor, and she really taught me well as far as what a, what a good splint should be, all of the architecture of the hand. And so actually my, my student um, project and my, my student presentation was on the architecture of the hand. Little did I know that that would be what would spark my interest in um, the, just the beauty of, of the hand and but I loved splinting and of course we called splinting back then <laughs> and I even look back to one of my first uh employee um present or one of the you know your annual review and my supervisor this was way back in the um start of the hand therapy um I didn't even know that there was a hand therapy association or a society yeah and I look back at at some of that stuff and it says sounds like you would probably be a really good hand therapist and I thought what's a hand therapist I had no idea 
And, you know, but I just loved splinting and I would be the one that could splint no matter where I was. So I, we moved to Minnesota and worked, I worked in nursing homes and I was the one who they all called on to splint. And I even had to splint, um, or I was able to splint a spastic hand using polyflex. If you remember what polyflex was, that's very drapeable material and I did it yeah I made a split wow and so that was my it was kind of my call calling card was that yep I know how to know how to do a lot of splinting awesome. and then we raised our kids and I have we have three kids and I decided I'm I'm my own daycare person so I took some time off but as I was um coming back into OT I had a friend who um had been working at a place where there's a new hand there hand surgeon so hey do you want to come and work with us at our clinic and you can work at the hospital but he's training us in on some of these hand therapy um, techniques so I started back in the middle 80s um, getting into hand therapy and when I found hand therapy it was like I found my career I knew I loved OT but boy I I loved doing hand therapy and learning about that. So that was kind of my start. And then I um, was able to work with the University of Minnesota Medical Center, which was part of, you know, how hospital names change. Yeah. Fairview Health System. But um, that's where I joined a hand therapy group. And when I did, and this by this time, I'm ready to work full time. She said, well, you can come work for us full time if you sit for the exam this year. <laughs> I gulped nice. um, and that was 1997 and wow. um, so I said sure and so I attended Philly Hand and I attended ASHT and I studied really hard and so that was the year I set and passed my CHT and so I awesome. spent 26 years up in Minnesota in hand therapy um, cool. but we were in Minnesota for over 40 years now we've just recently moved back to Madison to kind of be closer to our daughters because we they went to University of Wisconsin Madison so we wanted to be closer to them grandkids and my mom still lives here too so family always seems to change things like that for you that's for sure yeah Um, yeah um yeah, what I know that um, as we talked about this uh, before Virginia, I mean, I got to meet you. It was awesome. It was a great opportunity down at Georgia Hand. Kind of like it was like that's that Georgia Hand Society meeting down there. It seems to be a people got me bobbed, a lot of great people and stuff mm-hmm. down there. And mm-hmm. and I read all kinds of stuff about you before Virginia. And, and I'm really intrigued. I'm interested. I know some of the listeners probably are too. Is it, what um, you're really well known for working with Jan Albrecht, of course, on caring for the painful thumb. And I think most every well-known, any clinic that has, does anything has your has your books, the, mm-hmm. the caring for the painful thumb. How did you get involved with Jan and and working with this, the painful thumb things? Because that, that's, that's such an important part of what we do. So I think be, that'd be great for you to Give us a little background on that. Sure. Um, I met Jan when I was working at the University of Minnesota Medical Center or Fairview Hospital at that time. It was the Fairview Hand Center. And she was a part-time fill-in therapist for us. Um, And we began doing her dynamic stability um, thumb program in the early 2000s. And it just was so effective. And so I was learning more about that. And around 2005, she and I started um, 
traveling with Dr. Van Heest, who was our one of our hand surgeons, and also Julie uh, Liebelt, a PT from the Sister Kenny Institute, where Jan also covered um, as a part-time therapist. And we taught on caring for the painful thumb. That was our first presentation at ASHT. And um, just the concept of being able, it was a ASSH, ASHT combined meeting. And so that's where Jan and I formed our, um, we started traveling together, speaking on caring for the painful thumb. Um, and it was Jan that wrote that book. and and. I only was an editor for the 2008 and the 2015 um, editions, um, but that that's how we began to know each other. Um, and then it was the, um, later in my career, I was supervisor over the hand therapist and the, the physical therapist who were DPTs. So I decided I better learn about research. And so that, that took me on the path towards my OTD. Gotcha. Um, funny story is I went to Philly Hand thinking I'd take a one-day seminar on research. And it was Jane Fedorchik and Sue oh. Michael and Paul Dale and Ken Flowers and uh -huh. Joy McDermott. And I was like drinking out of a fire hydrant. And I thought, <laughs> well, I... Right don't know anything about research with my bachelor's OT. So I figured it, this was an opportunity to get my post-professional OTD. And so I jumped at it. And as my project, and as I figured, well, I better use my OTD knowledge. Let's see if this dynamic stability program has made any effect. So that's what jumped me into retro, the retrospective study of 2013. Gotcha and which then has gone around the world and I keep getting um, notifications about it's cited here and it's cited there and it's cited there. And so it's, it's just been a wonderful launching program for people to learn and start studying the dynamic stability of the hand or the thumb. You know, you, you mentioned that I, I graduated OT school in 2011. Um, I was, very fortunate to start my career in a hand clinic. Um, it's something I've always wanted to do. The reason I went to school, not that I don't like all aspects of occupational therapy, but this was something that was just a calling. Same type thing with you. I love the artsy side of it, fabricating and stuff like that. Um, but something, you know, you mentioned the, the 2013 article and then the recent one, something that I think people have a misconception or don't fully understand is what exactly do you mean by dynamic stability? Yeah, that's a that's a that's a good um, question. So I just having learned that this is a dynamic stability program for the thumb, it, it's wonderful that I I already learned and knew these are the steps to work with a conservative thumb. So as I was doing the the retrospective study, um, I had also had good con uh, conversation with a PhD. Um, a PhD PT who also showed me where it's there's dynamic stability of the knee, dynamic stability of the shoulder, dynamic stability of the elbow, dynamic stability of the hip. Why aren't we studying and doing anything about the dynamic stability of the thumb? Jan was the one who um, started talking about it. So what is dynamic stability? In any of these contexts, it's restoring functional motion at joint and the soft tissues, it's re-education 
not just straight planar or strengthening, but re-education of specific muscles to improve the strength of the hand and the, and the wrist. Um, it's reducing pain and disability. It's not gonna change the course of the disease, but it's teaching them to, because of the reduction of the pain and disability, teaching them to self-manage their pain. And then for the thumb, which may, may happen as well as for the wrist or the elbow or the shoulder, creating some stabilizing orthoses to where is needed with a plan to wean them out of that orthosis. And they, they may continue to use it for um, heavier tasks. And, and you know, you, you said something I wanted to hit on right there because I've seen this and actually talked to a lot of people about it. And there are many doctors that'll send for an orthosis and that's about it. That's right. all they don't send them for a program. And I think there's a, there's a gap there and we need to educate them on what we can actually do for conservative and not just post-operative. Yeah, in our in our practice, I know that we've changed uh, because of again yours and Jan's work and stuff over the years, and the fact that we're we used to be the same way. We come in and just get a you know uh, maybe we'll do a short opponent splint, and, and now when we come in, we don't just do that. We like let's, let's go through a whole examination here and take a look mm -hmm. at what's the overall strength, the mobility, the CMC joint, and and even we can even talk about proprioception probably in a little bit. But again, taking a look at the role of the first dorsal interossei and the opponents and the deforming forces and stuff on the base of the joint, and how we can help save people some time you know it can't can't cure the osteoarthritis but we could it could save them time before they have to have either surgery and we've had some people that have had gone to to right. not have to have it so right and that and that's been bred that's been corroborated by research over and over and over again if they if they've given been given an orthosis and exercise significantly less people go to surgery yes significantly less and we're, we're still in a paradigm shift because the previous um, thought process was, oh, you have arthritis. So the end all program of that is surgery. So let's just take you to surgery now or wait till the, bad, the, the pain's bad enough and then we'll go to <laughs> surgery. Yeah. We, we, don't have, we don't talk about that with any other joint other than the thumb the elbow oh let's re let's preserve that elbow because if you have to go to arthro arthroplasty it's really going to be a two pound weight limit for the rest of your life right or no you don't want to do an arthroplasty in the shoulder it really is going to be tough or you um on and on for you know ankle you want to try and save that i mean there's evidence that in oa of the knee and oa of the ankle they will do dynamic stability prior to Yes. And we're, we're seeing great. You're exactly right. We have to, we have to educate our providers. And that, you know, it, it kind of uh, presented itself. We have a younger doctor that, that uh, stays up to date with research and sends for therapy. Uh, uh, he does um, ask for us to provide an orthosis for the patient, but then we put him through a program and he's seen good results and we have two. And then we have another doctor that would put them in something over the counter that they have over in DME. And he came and asked, why are these patients getting better and not these? And so mm -hmm. you get that opportunity to say, well, we're able to do this, this, and this X, Y, Z with this patient. Mm -hmm. We're not mm -hmm. seeing your patients until after surgery. Right. You're not even exactly. sending them. And so now we're getting more and more of those patients. So it was him sparking the idea because you do have to be, you know, somewhat careful at who you approach exactly. and how you approach it. Right. But right. Um, he took it great. And now we're getting his 
his patients. And um, that's excellent. It's been great because, you know, patients are like, wow, I thought, you know, I've had, you know, this cortisone injection. And they said the next thing was this. And now I'm able to play golf again or tennis mm-hmm. or pickleball. And I don't, you know, I'm not in pain. Of course, it's not, you know, fixing what's going on. It's not going to change it, but we can prolong. We And we can empower them when they have pain, what to do. Exactly. Yeah. Or what what's the right kind of orthosis to wear to play pickleball or to play exactly. golf or wear the right kind of glove or... Mm-hmm. You know, just learning to understand what that joint is, that it's not, it's not a nothing joint. It's, it's the majority of your hand in your right hand or your dominant hand, thumb uses 70%. In your non-dominant hand, thumb uses 60%. That's a huge component. Yes. And we have a huge job to help our patients and help and, and get our providers to understand. Mm -hmm. And here in Wisconsin, there's a, a huge population of physician's assistants and uh, advanced practice practitioners. And so in Minnesota, we were going to speak with them and that we've got to start a program talking to the PAs um, here as well. And then the family practice um, physicians as well. Um, Virginia, we know we've, we talked about, you know, we talked about conservative management of, uh, of the, the dynamic stability program and, um, and we looked at your articles and things like that. What's your thought about it with the role? And we've, I, I've had questions about this in the past and, and uh, I always question what I do. Um, how, how, how effective do you feel is the dynamic stability program, maybe in the post-op CMC arthroplasty patient or components of that? Or how do you, how do you feel that that ties in well as you feel is a good role for that to play in the post-op patient as well? I, I definitely do. Um, one of the things that made me feel confident to use the dynamic stability program postoperatively is because the first dorsal interosseus does not have a compressive force. Right. It has a distraction and an ulnar word um, moment. And so therefore, I'm confident that it doesn't subside where I feel confident in using it because I, um, I don't feel it has a... Um, Compressive force. Compressive mm-hmm. and ca- compressive force causing subsidence of the metacarpal into that space. Mm. And what do the doctors want us to do? Get that wrist going. So you've got your your extensor, your, your extensors, that extensor EPL, APL, EP, EPL, FPL, APL, and EPB that are, are the extensors, mm-hmm. um, ex- extrinsic um, muscles, I mean. And they have to work, and depending on which ones were stolen for the LRTI. Um, and then they always want you to do, you know, do some pinch strengthening and stuff. And Jan was really um, strong in saying you can strengthen the thumb without pinching. Right. Because the first dorsal interosseus, and we were shown that back in 2000 with the Bouton's work from France, that the first dorsal interosseus in the um, opponents are force couples to cre- create that stability. And so mm. those muscles are still there. Yeah. And so yeah. we can still use them. And underactive usually in those patients. Mm. Right. Un- very underactive. And the, um, the interesting thing, you know, we'll get into, I guess we can move into proprioception here, but um, the most exciting research that's out now is how proprioception informs or of the thought, you know, in the thumb ligaments can inform how they are moving. However, it doesn't inform very well because people with CMCOA 
there's their ligaments about the thumb, about the CMC joint are less than and not even recognizable compared to um, the those that don't have CMCOA. So less in number and less organized. So therefore, when the muscles are activating and it's not really having that proprioceptive end organ reflex arc to talk to the um, the person about where they are in space. So they they kind of have a dumb thumb. Yeah. And then if they have, have had that trapezium out, they don't even have the bone to bone to bone connection in that proprioception. So you that's when kinesio tape probably often works for them because they then they can find out where their thumb is in space. Mm. Makes sense. I ran across a really interesting article that just Corey McGee, who's a PhD, OT, CHT from Minnesota, he and I collaborated on several articles and studies. He sent me one. So I started looking at it. It's out of Japan. What they are finding is that the first dorsal interosseous tendinous fibers blend into the dorsal radial capsule of the joint. So they're calling it a um, periarticular aponeurosis from the first mm -hmm. dorsal interosseous to the dorsal radial portion of the capsule into the opponents. Mm -hmm. So th that's fascinating. Yeah. It's like, this keeps coming and that's what makes me so excited about working with the thumb. I think, I think, and that's a perfect way to look at it is I, I think it's great or I hope that people aren't getting stuck in treating things one way because there's so much we don't know and there's mm -hmm. so much that is constantly changing and people like yourself and the ones you're talking about that are doing that article are contributing to the field and I want to say mm -hmm. thank you for that because without that we'd probably be doing the same thing we were doing. And yeah. Now we're seeing, you know, better results and keeping people away from surgery for as long as possible. And it's not that the surgeries are bad. I mean, some people that's, that's the ultimate. That, end. That's where they have to go. Right. Yeah. And, and that's okay. And then, you know, but a lot of these concepts can still be used after surgery. Mm -hmm. um, so when we start kind of back with the dynamic stability type stuff, like what are some, you know, I guess, pearls or, or great exercises that you like to incorporate in your treatment plans that are dealing with dynamic stability? Well, um, I have, I was listening to, to Jim talk on lateralocondylitis on, on one of his webinars and the same concept for the elbow. And I think the same concept for the wrist, the same concept for the, for the thumb is you can't exercise in the presence of pain. So one of the first things that needs to happen in your first visit with your thumb patient is to address and alleviate their pain, whatever that is. So if it's mild, you know, I, I always uh, will um, uh, assess and do the evaluation and check and see what their range of motion is. I want to see how, how mobile are they in the carpus and at the you know, are they are hypermobile or hypomobile at the um, trapezium and mm -hmm. the scaphoid junction and mm -hmm. um, at the, um, you know, in that radial column. Exactly. And that, you know, so I'm, I'm checking that, but if that, if they can't move their thumb, that tells me about their adductor okay. and the web space, because I release that web space first to get more, 
um, potential of motion. Otherwise, if they're stuck close to their hand, there's no potential of motion. So I can't really stabilize a, a joint that's sliding off to the side. I, I tell people, if you've got a subluxed metacarpal uh, off of the trapezium, it's kind of like you're riding a saddle with the saddle horn in your crotch. You yeah. really can't move. Ouch. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, it, it just, you have to get the trapezium centered on, the metacarpal trapezium centered on the trapezium, very much like the, the humerus has to be centered on the glenohumeral um, glenohumeral joint. I got to so, tell you, that's a, such a, such a great point that you made there. And I, this is, I know I saw Bob smile here because you can't, you, you know, you can't see that on the podcast, but you can on zoom, but you know, that's one of the things I've learned from the IAOM stuff is taking a look on the radial column of there and seeing again, what's scaphoid on radius, what's trapezium trapezoid or, mm -hmm. or, or on, on, on scaphoid, what's that mobility like? And is there a hypomobile segment? Because if there's one hypomobile segment, that's not, it's supposed to be moving. It's going to transfer those forces elsewhere, right? So exactly right. And so and so, how to address that? And I think that's really just made a, a paradigm shift for me. And, and with your stuff, Virginia, and everything else, it kind of brings it all together. So it makes it exciting, doesn't it? It does. It does. And I I think that as we get older, our carpus gets stuck in a in a really tough arch, and so the, all the mobility goes right to the CMC. Mm. So if you don't get the address. Going, don't get addressed to this hypomobility throughout the entire carpus, mm -hmm. you um, are going to just have know, more I know, problems. I know one of the things you've talked about in the past as well, too, and, I, and, and, uh, and a friend of mine who is a grip strength guy, we hope to have him on someday. His name is Jed Johnson, uh, Vesel Strength. He's just got an amazingly strong hand and pinch, just um, he set some world records and things like that. But and he was amazed by the adductor when I was talking about some hand anatomy and stuff like that as well. Mm -hmm. I said, this ad adductor, he's like, tell me about that adductor. So we got talking about that. And I know you really like to, you recommend and you pre preach kind of making sure that web space stays as supple as possible. Can you give some of the mm -hmm. listeners some recent rationale why that is it's so important? Um, well, speaking about the most recent research, just in 2021, there was a, there was a very short article. Um, they did one visit um, and then they retested it in one week, but they did for that. They did first dorsal web space release, held it for a minute, um, and they found that significant. They found a significant reduction of CMC OA pain compared to a sham treatment. Wow. So I, I, as therapists, we see releasing the muscle as calming down the tension releasing the pain. But it's interesting that this, this study even just showed how overall pain at the CMC joint and those that had CMC OA mm. was reduced. So it's really fun that it's backed up by some literature. Right. So I, how, how do I do it? Um, I like, I don't, I don't like to use the pinch, but if you have a stable other thumb, you can use just a mild pinch. Um, Gail Schaefer out of uh, Michigan says it doesn't even have to be much pressure. It's just pressure mm. and then just mild pressure. And then you let it um, melt under your, under your hand, under your, your fingers. But one pound of measure at the tip of the thumb can translate up to 24. It has been found to be 24 times unit. So that not high. just 12, not just 13, it's 20, can go up to 24. Wow. So that's 
why the use of the clip is really nice and, and why any other myofascial release that you can do um, in the thumb is great. And I, I like to do web to web. Yeah. That way they're all, they're using their other hand. They've always got that with them if they have two hands. And then you are working on the soft tissue and you can release your muscles as well. But you, once you've released it, you have to mobilize it. Mm. So that just follows all of the, the other principles. So you have to stretch the thumb out. So I will, you can't see on the podcast and you guys can't see on the um, video, but I like to catch the thumbs and you make sure that the whole thumb is on the edge of the table and then tilt my hand away to get a good, good adductor yeah. stretch. Yeah. But you have to, you can't just release it. You have to release it and mobilize it and gain that width. And that's the whole point is to get that potential of the thumb out so it can have, so the other muscles can work. Gotcha. Great. That's uh, that that's all really good. So, and I think that's stuff that people can, you know, step in right away and use and For talk sure. about the radial column. I think it's oftentimes thought that we're treating thumb CMCOA, that we're treating the thumb CMC and that's it. And that's not it. And mm -hmm. I think that's a huge, you know, with the elbow, we're not just treating the elbow, the shoulder, you know, we're, there's a whole chain. And I think we forget that when we get down to the thumb and um, it's so easy to just be caught up on that. Cause that's, you know, oftentimes what the doctor is really looking at CMCOA, that's it. Yeah. So we're trying yeah change that mindset. And I, I think that it's awesome that what you're doing and a lot of these great things and out of, out of the book, um, we use the book in the clinic too. And I use the uh, clip. I love the clip as long as it's not too bad of a base, but I, I do love the clip and the patients absolutely love how it feels. Yeah. I like the narrow, the narrow triangular yeah. base. You, you were talking about, um, looking up the chain. We, we have to make sure that it, we have to realize it's part of a chain one of the things that I took away from the ASHT conference this um, year, this fall, uh, Raquel Cantero Telez was our international speaker, and I got to be on the podium with her um, back in a, a session. And she has done some fabulous work on proprioception of the thumb, and mm. she's starting at the tip of the thumb, mm. which just has blown me away because. If you don't even know where you're, where the IP is in right. space or where the MP is in space, you don't even know where your CMC is in space. Makes sense. And I, I tested this out with two of my patients. One was a CMC OA patient. She's a, a saxophone player. You think she knows where her thumbs in, are in space, but she doesn't. She's playing music. <laughs> That's where her brain is. And so I taught her, we... We are just working on passive um, recognition of where the tip of the thumb flexes or tip of the thumb extends and then have her activate and um, reproduce that motion. Mm. And I was watching her really have to concentrate on where is my thumb mm. and to close her eyes and do it. And she, I could tell she was really having to put effort into this. She looked up at me and said, that's really hard. <laughs> I, I was blown away. And then I did another, you did this with another man. We did both a, um, who had had some hand trauma, wrist trauma actually, um, and did both the IP and the MP and to watch him think about where his thumb is in space was amazing. So I think we've stopped too proximal 
Mm. And we need to go even to the tip of the thumb. Very cool. Yeah. Realize it's an entire column. Absolutely. That's great. Well, first off, I want to say thank you for coming on. Uh, this has been a great one for me because I've read all your work and I've never met you. So this is my first time meeting you, but thank you for coming on. And, um, you know, if, if there's anything, Jim, do you have anything else? No, I just want to say thank you so much, Virginia, for sharing your, your experience, your knowledge with us. It's some great stuff. We could sit and chat over a good bourbon all day long uh, with this here with you. Uh, and maybe we'll do that someday. So thank you. That's right. Thank you. Thank you. This is my second podcast. We're great. So I'm coming up in the world. We're happy to be number two. <laughs> well, no, we're coming up in the world. <laughs> So uh, thank you for tuning in for another episode of Getting Handsy. We hope everyone has a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. See you soon.